With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. And Brew on News Radio 700 WLW. I don't think a lot of us realize what tonight is going to be, both in terms of a fledgling team trying to get a foothold in the Cincinnati sports landscape and for what it means for the sport of soccer. That is an acquired taste for most Americans. Let's face it, we are not a country that embraces the sport. The reason why soccer is embraced worldwide is largely because worldwide, most countries don't have the NBA, they don't have Major League Baseball, they don't have the NFL. They simply don't have what we have here. Soccer has not been embraced universally as a spectator sport in our country because not only of those diversions, but also because it doesn't offer a lot of scoring. And we are a country that loves to keep score. We like numbers. How many hits did so-and-so get? What's his batting average? How many touchdown catches does this guy have? How many runs do they average a game? What's the run differential for each major league team and at the end of the game? Who won and who lost? And it's very difficult in the sport of soccer to get all of that. Oftentimes, matches end in ties. Oftentimes, there are rules we don't understand. And most times, there's not a lot of scoring. Soccer has always been an acquired taste. I am a veteran sports watcher and a veteran sports commentator. I remember back in the 60s when every kid in America began kicking a ball around. And there were great soccer minds back then, people that had been imported from across the pond into the United States. And they were convinced that professional soccer was about to explode. And so we got, in the 70s, the North American Soccer League. And so we got along with it some of the great, albeit aging, stars from European soccer. The Giorgio Canalias of the world, Pele, Franz Beckenbauer. Pick a player that had international reputation. That player invariably, toward the end of his career, found his way to American soil to play in the North American Soccer League. And for a while, it did well. But like most things, and like most players, it became more expensive. And so soccer really not, never got a toehold. Kids would play the sport. I remember working in Tulsa, Oklahoma. They had something out there called Green Country Soccer, which was their, their youth soccer program. And it had 50,000, 50,000 kids playing it. Now, mind you, Tulsa is not a major metropolitan area. At the time, it, in market size, it was mid-50s. It was 54, 56, something like that. It was not even the largest city in, this, in the state of Oklahoma. Oklahoma City is. But they had 50,000 kids playing green country soccer. And for a while, their professional team, it was known as the Roughnecks at the time. I don't know what they call it now, but they were the Roughnecks. And they drew well to the stadium that they played at. But over time, over time, and once the novelty of the team wore off, the fan base began to erode. Because at the root of it, it just wasn't a game that we gravitated to. 
Now we fast forward 40 years, and we've gone through many incarnations of the sport of soccer. We've seen various professional leagues. Now we have the MLS, which is the premier professional soccer league here in the United States. But over, over, over a wide swath, through most of their franchises, the level of play doesn't, doesn't even remotely approach what goes on in Europe, in South America, in Germany, in places like that. It doesn't. For us, it's great. For the rest of the world, not so much. But it's a nice little diversion, particularly in markets that don't have a whole lot of else going on. Like, for example, Columbus. they got Ohio State football. They have a hockey team that's not very good. And they've got the crew, which is a nice little diversion during the summertime. But along comes this franchise in this town, in the middle of what mattered the most to all of us for the last 150 years. And that would be Cincinnati Reds baseball. And tonight, this soccer club will outdraw the great American ballpark crowd. Don't know how many are going to show up for the baseball game tonight, but the 35,000 that will be at Nippert Stadium will outdraw the baseball team, the oldest team in baseball, the fabric of our sports society here in Cincinnati, the thing that is the most commonly revered among all generations, among all creeds, among all races, among everyone. It's baseball. It is timeless. It is handed down to us from our fathers, from their fathers, from their fathers. A soccer team in Cincinnati is going to outdraw the Reds tonight. Think about that. Just think about the absurdity of that statement if you had made it even a year ago. It's a phenomena. It's something that was totally inexplicable even to the people that own the franchise. You line up Carl Linder for a, car, for a candid conversation, or you pull Jeff Birding aside and you get him into a candid conversation, and they will, have, they, they will tell you that this is not something they saw coming. They thought they would do well. They thought this match tonight would do better than well. But I don't think anybody envisioned where this is right now. Now, the question is, And it's always the question, is can you sustain it? Because we are, and and I say this with all due respect, because I'm part of this place, you're part of this place, we love Cincinnati, we love the tri-state, or else we wouldn't be here. We're a novelty town. We like the shiny stuff. We like the bright new stuff. The Cincinnati Cyclones skated in here in the early 90s, and the Gardens were putting crowds of eight, nine, ten thousand 10,000 in to watch a hockey team that, frankly, had trouble skating backwards and side to side. It was, it, it was about as far removed from the National Hockey League as you could get. But it was shiny, and it was new, and it was something to do in an odd part of the schedule and the odd part of a season, and it was, it was something that did very well for several years. But there were a series of business missteps. Moving the team downtown was, in my mind, cataclysmic because it opened the gardens up to another team coming in. And all of a sudden, in Cincinnati, you have two minor league hockey teams. It it was just a bad business move. Bad business move. Understood the owner bought the the facility downtown, wanted to move his team into the facility he bought. But from a business standpoint, we now know that it was not prudent. This group that has come in and has this soccer team that plays at Nippert Stadium, FC Cincinnati, they are the bright, shiny new thing. And it is hot, and it is the thing to do, 
And even after tonight, their crowds, which have been averaging in the teens, 19, 18,000, some topping 20,000, tonight 35,000, even after tonight, the crowds will be really, really good. Sustaining that kind of enthusiasm, sustaining that kind of momentum is something they should be thinking about right now. The focus for the team should be what are we going to do to win a championship this season? The focus for the front office and for the ownership group should be what are we going to do to sustain this past this season? Because past this season, we won't be the shiny new thing. And there's the dilemma. You keep going with what you got because you never leave the wave until the wave leaves you. But you have to find a bigger wave to keep people interested. It's going to be fascinating to watch how this thing develops. Tonight is fascinating in and of itself because an English Premier League team not only trained here in Cincinnati yesterday, it will play here in Cincinnati today. I don't think there has been an English Premier League team that ever changed planes in Cincinnati, let alone play a match in Cincinnati. We know there's never been one here before. Tonight will be a phenomena. It will be the shiniest of the shiny new thing. But keeping that going is going to be the real gambit for FC Cincinnati. They are a remarkable and welcomed thing on the sports landscape here. Their players are terrific guys. They really are. There's not, I've interviewed Most, not all, and there's not a jerk among them. Their coach is arguably the best soccer player the United States has ever produced, and without without argument, one of the top five players the United States has ever produced in that sport. It was a real coup to get him. They have, and this is just a guess, but I'm, I'm going to go ahead and guess, they have the richest owner inside of their league discounting the ones that own MLS teams. There's some multi-multi-millionaires that, that own MLS franchises, but for a standalone USL franchise, I would be willing to bet a paycheck that Carl Lindner III is the richest owner. They have gotten a late start, and so their marketing isn't as great as it as it's needs to be and probably not as good as it's going to be. But they've done well to drive fans to that stadium. The bar, which was set really low back in October, now is much higher. Tonight is the start of something big for them. What's happened up till now has been a really nice story. This is the start of something big. 35,000 in that stadium. I contend there are two ways that this team can go. The first direction would be to bring an MLS franchise here to Cincinnati. Now, to get an MLS franchise here in Cincinnati, it's going to cost $100 million for an expansion team. I'm not privy to the books that Carl Linder III and his owners keep, but my guess is that would be a very rich dinner for them. But probably one they could pull off. Not sure the MLS would offer them an expansion ticket because there seem to be other cities in line ahead of them, and... There's the little problem with the team up in Columbus that probably would not want any Cincinnati fans distracted by something that is bigger and better than what they have. By the way, I don't think there are a lot of Cincinnati fans that go to Columbus to watch the MLS. I don't think there have been. I don't sense that there's a big support for that group here. 
The second route they could go is they could just buy a distressed MLS franchise. And there are, there, there's several of them out there that are struggling. And move it to Cincinnati. Just move the franchise to Cincinnati. I think they need to be thinking about that. And the third and final piece of, I, I guess, visionary that they could have is next year, to keep this thing going, why not go and bring in a player who may be at the end of his run in one of the European leagues? Doesn't matter which, which, which country. I mean, the EPL would be nice. We get those games over here on the NBC Sports Network. And import him. And have him be the star of your team. And have, you know, it's not going to be messy. It's not going to be Rooney. It's not going to be any of those guys. But it might be somebody like the MLS is noted for that can come over here and really be your quote-unquote star, your central figure, somebody that you can market your team around and somebody that can put the ball in the back of the net. We're a town that likes the shiny new thing. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. We're a town that likes fireworks. This is the shiny new thing. Now it's got to start thinking about how do we keep that going after this year? I can't tell you how big tonight is going to be at Nippert Stadium. It, it's, it's, it's unfathomable to think that a soccer team is going to outdraw the Cincinnati Reds tonight. 749-7000, the big one. Pound 700 on AT&T. Coming up in about 15 minutes, one of the stars of FC Cincinnati, Omar Cummings, is going to join us to talk about tonight's game, his expectations, and uh, frankly, where he thinks all of this is right now with FC Cincinnati. So we're, we're going to get into that. It is the presidential silly season. Donald Trump has picked his running mate today, Governor Mike Pence of Indiana, Reportedly, Hillary Clinton is meeting with a potential running mate, Senator Elizabeth Warren, today. Do presidents notoriously drink? And if so, what is their drink of choice? And could you play a presidential drinking game next week with the Republican National Convention and then later with the Democrat National Convention? I have an author coming up here at 105 who says, yes, yes, you can do that. Also on the show today, should we expect any trouble whatsoever from a terrorism standpoint in Cleveland starting on Monday when the Republican National Convention begins? Because let's face it, after Orlando and after San Bernardino and most recently after what happened in France, one would think at a, at a gathering like that, 
that the security would be so tight and so hard and so overwhelming that no one would try anything. But I have a guest coming up at 235 who says, ah, you might want to rethink that. Also on the show today, we are now officially at the middle of July. It is sunburn season and coming from a guy who is gingered and is dipped regularly in SPF 197. What should you be doing regardless of your skin shade to protect yourself? And finally, at 2.05, he is in town tonight in concert at Riverbend and tomorrow at the Rose Music Center in Huber Heights. It is Rock and Roll Hall of Famer Joe Walsh who will join me today at 2.05. It's a rip-roaring three hours we got. We're glad you're with us on the big one, 700 WLW. 700 WLW. The official song of tonight's FC Cincinnati opponent, Crystal Palace. What they come into the field on. Song written by Dave Clark and the group's lead singer, the late Mike Smith. Peaked at number six in the USA before it became the first hit from a British invasion group not named the Beatles. Clark on drums. Smith is playing keyboard. Lenny Davidson on lead guitar. And Rick Huxley is on bass guitar. The late Dennis Payton on sax. DC5 Rock and Roll Hall of Fame inductees 2008. Group with its roots in Tottenham, England. Bumped into several uh, Crystal Palace fans yesterday. A rowdy bunch from the south of London. I did not know this, but the uh, river that divides north and south London is a strong line of demarcation. Don't ever... Don't ever suggest somebody that roots for this team at Nippert Stadium tonight as being from North London. I found that out the hard way last night. 700 WLW, mostly sunny, high near 83 today, and it's going to be nice tonight. Clear, low around 62, and tomorrow sunny and high near 90. We're at 79 right now at the Tri-State Severe Weather Station, 700 WLW. Omar Cummings joins us next. And I want to get into some Reds talk from last night, too. We're here until 3 on the home of your Cincinnati Reds, 700 WLW. 700 WLW, 1235 on this Saturday afternoon. In a moment, Omar Cummings, FC Cincinnati. 35,000 tonight at uh, Nippert Stadium. You know, I said it's, uh, it's 1235. Did I say that? Did I say that? But you and I both know. It's 5 o'clock somewhere. Reds tonight against the Brewers in uh, at Great American Ballpark. Let's go to the phones. Steve is in Westchester. Steve, welcome to the show. Hey, Ken. How you doing? Today? All right, Steve. All right. I like the show, but I have to say I can't wait till you get back to talking about a lot of sports. Well, we got to have some. We, we got to have some here pretty quick. Right. <laughs> I'm hoping, you know. But uh, I have two other real quick comments. Um, I've never been to a soccer game, but my girlfriend plays soccer her whole life. Uh, she got tickets to go to the game tonight, mm-hmm. and I admit I'm, I'm thrilled because I've watched them the few times they've been on TV, 
very exciting, uh, very exciting atmosphere, and I'm, I'm just really, really looking forward to going to it. I think it's going to be a really great time. The great thing uh, about soccer is, is there, there, and and soccer aficionados would, I'm sure, would disagree with me. But there's a lot of downtime in that sport. There's a lot of passing. There, there aren't a lot of, you know, big, great plays. And so it gives you time. It gives you time to, like, talk to yeah. the people that you're with, have a beer, you know, get communal. Yeah. I mean, that's what that sport offers, I think. Similar to baseball a little bit, where you can sit and talk. You know, you don't miss a whole lot of action. You know, I like that about it. Yeah. Uh, but one, one quick question I do have about the Reds. I'd like to hear your opinion. Uh, I don't know what they're going to do with Brian Price. I don't know if anybody knows. But what do you think the chances of possibly getting rid of Brian Price, and I know you don't really agree with him going, but uh, having, you know, Lou Pinello fill in the rest of the year uh, just to get some things in order, some discipline, base running, you know, things like that, and then possibly set themselves up for – you know, the manager next year. Well, do you have an opinion on that? Well, you know, I don't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't discount it. Uh, I don't know if Pinella has, has really the drive for it, but if you presented it that way to him, and I think it's a great way to present it, Steve, look, uh, Lou, get in here. Let's get some things in order. Let's make sure we're teaching this game the right way. Uh, right. And it's only going to be 60 or some odd games. I, yeah. I don't, I don't necessarily disagree with that. The only thing I would question though is, uh, what are you getting in order? Because who 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 on this team is going to be around here next year? I, yeah. I I'm not sure yeah. that uh, that it's uh, it'd be a majority certainly, but I'm not sure that w- what you're getting in order. You're not you're not going to get Brandon Phillips in order, but chances are he's not here. Jay Bruce isn't going to be here next year. Um, we don't know if any of these pitchers that are on this staff right now. Hopefully, none yeah. of them, several of them aren't here next year, but. I I don't know. I do think if you're going to change a manager midseason, if a club is going to do that, it should be with that in mind. Somebody that comes in, takes inventory, reports to the owner, and then right. turns it over to someone else long-term after that. Kind of what happened, even though yeah. he was a candidate. Remember a guy named Pete McKinnon or McCannon or whatever his name is? Oh, and yeah. That yeah he did a great job. Right. Great job. Right. I think, in essence, that's what he did when he came in here. And he just, you know, he came in, fresh pair of eyes and all that, and then delivered what he thought was the problems to the owner. And then the owner decided who he wanted to be or who who he wanted as manager and who he wanted to keep and get rid of his players. Right. Because, you know, the losing, it hurts, but it's the way they're losing. You know, it's little league stuff that just drives me up the wall. Yeah. You know? Base running mistakes, yeah. and their heads are just not in the game. And I just, I, I, I particularly picked Lou Pinella because he's going to be up there, but yeah. you know whether they're here or not. Let's finish out the rest of the year strong as possible. And, you know, that's just my opinion. Yeah, if yeah, it, it, it happens. It, we'll see. Thanks for the call, Steve. I, I would. In theory, I would not discount that. I just don't know if Pinella's mind is such that he would want something like that, even for a short term of, of 60 days or so. The real question is, is who's the guy going forward after this year? Because I sense that it, it once Dick Williams finally is is the guy in charge and Walt Jockety is some guy that's living in some other state and just occasionally phones some things in, I think once that happens, I think I think Williams is going to want his own guy. That's just the way it works. 
And hopefully he'll use the opportunity to not just get his own guy in the dugout, he'll get his own people in the organization that can fix the way players are developed or lack thereof because that there's a problem inside that organization getting players through the system. There just, there just is. And I, I don't know what the norm is for an organization to draft players and get that player to the major league level. I don't know what the percentage is. All I know is I can look at the Reds organization and not see a whole lot of everyday players that you could look at and say, hey, there's a guy that's going to be up here and a contributor in two years or three years. And from pitching, um, for as much as they've traded for and for as much as they've drafted, I don't know if after you get by one or two, you can look in that system and say, there's a guy that's going to be up here and a major contributor at the Major League Club. But not a bad idea. All right, standing by is Omar Cummings. We will get to him next. His team plays tonight against Crystal Palace. And uh, we'll get a little preview of that from him as we continue here on this Saturday afternoon on 700 WLW. 700 WLW. It's interesting. You go on the uh, aftermarket ticket websites. You know, StubHub, SeatGeek, things like that. And there are very few tickets that are out there for tonight's game. It, it appears the people that have purchased the tickets are going. And it's 35000 is considered a sellout for soccer at Nippert Stadium. There are just certain tickets they don't sell. I mean, the tickets that are close to the, um, you know, I think the first or second row, they don't, they don't sell those tickets because you can't see what's going on. But um, 35000 looks like it's going to be the number tonight. And from all indications, it's going to be a nice night, probably the nicest night we've had this week in terms of being able to go out and and enjoy whatever, including this. It's amazing. Omar Cummings is uh, one of the stars of the Cincinnati club. He is a guy that had a goal and an assist last Wednesday. I think it was Wednesday. Was it Wednesday? I think it was Wednesday in St. Louis when they beat that side and now uh, will be on the pitch tonight, as they say, as they take on Crystal Palace FC. I, I, again, it's just – it's it's it, – you don't have to be a soccer aficionado to know how big tonight is. You really don't. This is the first time a team has come here and has played in Cincinnati, a team from the English Premier League. It's, it's, it's mind-boggling, even if you're not a soccer fan. Omar Cummings is not only a soccer fan, he's a guy who grew up playing at Cincinnati State and the University of Cincinnati and now will take on with, 11, uh, with 10 other of his teammates – Crystal Palace, and uh, we've got a couple of minutes with Omar before tonight's match, and I, I wanted to talk to him about that and a couple of other things. So, Omar, first of all, um, great to have you with us. Thanks for joining us. Uh, no problem. Thank you. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Every day, we rise. Challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol... Protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers.
Uh, okay, so this is obviously a game that will be an event. Uh, you're going to have more than 30,000 at Nipper tonight. It's going to be the biggest crowd that you've ever played in front of. So I guess the initial question is, how do you handle that? How do you keep your wits about you in this thing? Yeah, well, uh, first and foremost, you have to realize that it's another game, you know. It's a game that, yes, we're, we're looking forward to it. We, we intend to, to be competitive. But at the same time, you have to look like, listen, this is not uh, a game that requires us to, to get points from. You know, and we have a game Wednesday, so we've got to be careful, but at the same time, we have to be competitive. Yeah, you know, as, as I look at Crystal Palace, and maybe, maybe you see the same thing too, I think you guys match up well with them. And I know they've left a lot of their players in London because of rest time from playing in the Euro and for other reasons, but, but how does FC Cincinnati, in your opinion, match up with this team? Well, if you go on paper, you know, then uh, obviously uh, they should be a, a much better team. You know, they're playing in one of the top leagues in Europe, the English Premier League. So on that note, you know, they're a very good team. And if you look on paper, then, okay, you said we, we should lose, lose this game. But, you know, I always believe you have to step on the field and you have to play the game. And uh, you can't go on the field and say oh, we're going to win, you know, win that game. You know, as the opposing team, because you look better on paper, you know. Essentially, you have to go out and you have to play and you have to win that game. So we intend to give it a good game. Yeah, and as, I mean, as you said, as important as this game is to the city, to sell the sport to this city and to our area, you've got three big matches inside your league after this friendly. I mean, these games, as big as tonight is, they mean so much more than a result against Crystal Palace, don't they? Right, and again, as you look at it, you say, okay, it's a really good game, a really good game. You want to win this game? You want to, uh, you know, give the fans a... Uh, uh, a very competitive, very um, exciting game. But on the back end of that, you have to realize that, one, they're in preseason. They don't want to get hurt. They're getting prepared for their season. We're in the middle of our season. We have a game Wednesday, and we have a big week coming up. We don't want to get have any injuries or, you know, get in the, you know, just get, as you said, you know, get too hyped up for this game, and then, you know, we're tired for the game from Wednesday. So, again, you have to look at it where, yes, we're going to play this game and want to be competitive, but at the same time, you know, we have to respect that we're getting prepared for our games and they're getting prepared for their season. And we're chatting with Omar Cummings forward, FC Cincinnati, which takes on the EPL's Crystal Palace tonight at Nippert Stadium in a match that will draw the biggest soccer crowd in the history of Cincinnati. Think about that. Think about this. This is the first time an EPL team has ever played in Cincinnati. Uh, so that's the enormity of tonight. Omar, you had a a goal and an assist out in St. Louis last week in the win over that club. How is your game right now? Because at least from the outside looking in, it looks like you're on top of it. I just think, you know, it's building a building relationship again with uh, with the guys on the team, building that partnership with, with Ugo, with Shane, Shane Coley, calling Ugo, um, and just building um, that relationship again with the midfielders and uh, and trying to get that rhythm going. You know, and uh, um, again, you know, when whenever you call upon, you try to do your best for your team. And I just have that in my back of my mind, like, you know, I'm getting out there. I'm going to give it 100 percent. Yeah. Uh, Omar, you played collegiately at UC. You played at Cincinnati State in your time playing for both of those schools. Uh, did you ever envision that you'd be playing in Cincinnati in a soccer match in front of 30,000 plus. I never thought that it would happen. Even in MLS, you know, that's, uh, that's actually a lot, you know, in any MLS game. You know, probably only 
one team or two teams can get that on a on a game to game basis, and it has to be like you know, one of the bigger games. So you're looking at your, your Seattle, they're probably your LA, but you know the average MLS is probably like looking at 15, and we're getting that per game. So you know, looking pretty good. Uh, but no, I never envisioned it at all. Yeah, it's 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 going to be a terrific night, a night unlike any other. One of these nights, I think that if soccer really and truly does take off in Cincinnati. We will look back and say, you know what? That could have been the seminal moment. Omar Cummings, FC Cincinnati, on the pitch tonight at Nippert against the English Premier League's Crystal Palace. Omar, good luck. Thanks for your time, man. Thank you. Thanks for having me. And again, look. And as I began this hour, I will, I'll, I'll just put a capper on it. There's soccer talk is not something I think that you can drive a three-hour show with. I'm not even sure you can drive an hour with it because I think this is something that people would rather go and watch than sit and talk about. With Reds, they want to talk. People want to talk about the Reds, what's wrong with them, you know, how do you fix it. With the Bengals, it's, we know what that is. Professional football drives shows like this, 24-7, 365. It, it really does. A little rough in this particular time of the year, so maybe it's not 365, but... Once we get to the end of this month, first of next month, the Bengals take over quite a bit on these airwaves. What has happened this year with the sport of soccer, to me, in this town, defies description. It just does. Nobody saw this coming. The key, as I said, is to figure out a way to keep the wave cresting. I think they've got another year in them with this. I think they've got another year in them with this. But after that, they got to figure out, okay, we're not the shiny new thing anymore. How do we make that next step? How do we make what we have now work at the next level? And I think that's where the focus has to be on for the ownership in the front office. It gets tremendous press coverage, tremendous television, tremendous radio, tremendous internet, all the, all the coverage that this team gets for the level of play that it's at. Let's remember, this is not the MLS. It's enormous. There's tremendous attention paid to it. But that's because it's new. That's because it's drawing good crowds. That's because of what's going on tonight. But eventually, the glean kind of wears off. And so that's why you've got to constantly keep one step ahead of the curve. So far, so good for FC Cincinnati. Tonight will be a night unlike any other. An EPL team has crossed the pond to play here on the soil of Cincinnati. And that has never, as in ever, happened before. Kudos to them for pulling that off. I think tonight's just going to be unreal. I really do. And that's coming from someone who does not gravitate to that sport in a natural way. Not that I'm an unnatural person. I'm just saying, it ain't my first choice. 749-7000-1800, the big one, pound 700 on AT&T. When we come back, what presidents drank heavily? What presidents didn't drink at all? And would you like Richard Nixon's recipe for his favorite drink? Yes, it's a historian on all things presidential and alcohol. When we continue on 700-WLW. Now, your host, Ken Brew, on News Radio 700 WLW. Well, it's official now. Donald Trump will run with Governor Mark Pence of Indiana. 
We await what Hillary Clinton will do, and then it will be the full-fledged silly season of politics that will take us right through the first Tuesday in November. Welcome back, 700 WLW. Sometimes all of what's going on can drive you to drink. Because and, and it hasn't even started yet with, with the political ads. We've only had a smattering of those. Pretty soon we're just going to be inundated with them to a point where we could probably memorize every single word and every single, as we say in the business, spot that appears uh, during the uh, presidential and other uh, political race season. Uh, there was a book out many years, well, it wasn't that many years ago, maybe like three or four years ago. It was called Mint Juleps with Teddy Roosevelt, written by... Uh, a guy uh, who had a nice touch on that, Mark Will Weber. And now apparently Mark has yet another book out just this week, Drinking with Republicans and Drinking with Democrats. I wonder if Mark Will Weber is a good guy to drink with. We're going to find out here in a second. Let's welcome him to 700 WLW. Are you a good guy to drink with, Mark? Well, I, I can hang a little bit. It's, it's beer and wine, and if we get into the hard <laughs> stuff, then i gotta, I got to be a little more cautious. But uh, I think I can hold my own, and after doing these books, you know, I... I toured around and uh, did some cocktail events, so I'm probably a little more trained than I would have been uh, four or five years ago. Safe to say, as your authorships have developed, you've become a person who's been around alcohol quite a bit. That's true. (laughs) uh, There's a little niche of us that, and somebody else told me this, they they had done a cocktail history book uh, in the Baltimore area, and they said, well, we're really... We do have a label. We're called Alco Historians. <laughs> but, uh, he was serious, and I was like, okay, I can swing with that. It's, it's not the worst thing. Yeah, so there have been several presidents that just didn't drink at all, including the one from Arrowtown here in Cincinnati, President, uh, President Taft. But uh, I'm told, though I was not around, Rutherford Hayes didn't drink, Millard Fillmore didn't drink. But some of these guys slammed back drinks. I mean, historically, some of these guys were, were big boozers, weren't they? Absolutely, Uh I would say the the guy who uh, unfortunately overindulged the most was Franklin Pierce, who died of cirrhosis of the liver. Mm. And uh, Pierce had a sad life. We don't have time to go into it in depth on the air, but if you read his uh, life history, you might have a little uh, empathy for for him in in terms of uh, of why he drank to excess. Uh, but, you know, some of the guys that we think drank a lot, like people are always telling me, well, Grant was a big drinker, right? Mm, right. And my answer to that is U.S. Grant was a bad drinker. He had one drink of whiskey and his face <laughs> would be flush and he'd want to continue. And, uh, unfortunately, Richard Nixon was also a lightweight. He had a couple glasses of wine or a scotch and he'd want a drunk dial. You know, uh, you mentioned Pierce. For some reason, and, and I don't know why, but when, when I was in high school, I did a paper on James Buchanan, and Buchanan was basically a drunk. I mean, this guy would, it would be a fifth of whiskey for lunch and then maybe a half another fifth for dinner. Uh, Buchanan was a big boozer, too. He was, and Buchanan, who is the only president from my state of Pennsylvania here, uh, they said he could drink for hours and hours and not show it, though. He was pretty good at disguising <laughs> the fact that he was half-looped. Uh, and he, he's, of course, regarded as one of our worst presidents, by the way, as his peers. Yeah. But Buchanan, they said people that tried to keep up with him did so at their own peril. He could really put it away. And, uh, and he once chided a, a local uh, Washington, D.C. grocer for sending pint bottles of champagne, and he 
he lambasted them for that and said, we will be requiring the large bottles of champagne from here on in. <laughs> and so, you know, it, it's all relative to the times that they lived in. But, the you know, George Washington allegedly grew hemp, uh, used laudanum, which was a, a derivative of opiate. I think it was used to, to treat cancer patients at one time to ease the pain. Jefferson uh, was was into opium. I mean, there was there are a lot of things other than alcohol that some of these guys were dabbling in. Well, true, and and you mentioned laudanum, and I'm actually working on a book about alcohol in the Civil War uh, right now, and that was sort of the the treatment of choice uh, at these Civil War hospitals for the wounded. And laudanum is like forty uh, percent alcohol and a good hefty dose of opium mixed mm. together, and then some water or something else. But uh, you can imagine it's pretty powerful yeah. stuff. Yeah. But it was really one of the few go-to painkillers that they had back in the ages. So uh, Richard Nixon was. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to. Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Temple University is ranked among the top 50 public universities in the U.S. Through hands-on learning opportunities and world-class faculty, Temple students are prepared to soar in their careers. Schedule a campus tour today at admissions.temple.edu slash visit. Like uh, two beers, come here. He, he, was not a, uh, he was not really a great drinker, but I'm told you, you know of a particular cocktail that Richard Nixon liked? Well, there's, there's, Nixon liked a lot of things. One, one of the things he loved were these Polynesian cocktails, and he would often go to this. With the umbrellas? Do you have to put the other? Yeah, he'd go to these tiki bars. He'd wear, you can, you can find pictures of him <laughs> on the net in Polynesian uh, shirts with a lay around himself, and, and he would, he would uh, knock back these uh, Navy grogs and Mai Tais and such. Yeah. Uh, now, the one we have in the book was, it was uh, a drink actually invented in his honor by a famous bartender in London by the name of Joe Gilmore. So we, we don't know whether Nixon ever actually drank that drink. What happened was Gilmore made it uh, in honor of Nixon for a visit to London. Nixon mm-hmm. was staying at another hotel. Gilmore had the cocktail sent over to Nixon. <laughs> but as you can imagine, the Secret Service guys are probably a little leery of, hey, yeah. take this drink up to the president. Yeah. But, uh, so we don't know whether he's actually indulged in that, but it is called the Richard Nixon, and it was created by a famous uh, bartender in London. Chatting with Mark Will Weber, an author, deal, uh, drinking with Republicans, drinking with Democrats, and also had mint juleps with Teddy Roosevelt out a couple of years ago. That was a wonderful book, by the way. I, I had a lot well, of fun reading thank that. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, to be honest with you, in the, the interest of full disclosure, the edit in both of these books is very, very similar. We, we added some cocktail recipes. It allowed me to uh, correct the uh, half dozen little tiny mistakes. I call them gremlins that mm. had... Uh, made their way into the manuscript of Teddy. Uh, so if you already have Teddy, well, you probably don't need to buy these books unless you want those added, uh, sure. those cocktail recipes. And we have also added some presidential quotes in there on the title pages of each president. And, and, so and, it's, a, it's a fun book. And, and FDR, his favorite, his favorite uh, liquor of choice was rum. Am I right on that? He had like a rum swizzle? Well, FDR liked a lot of things. He's just a very eclectic. He, when he went yachting or summering, 
as the Roosevelts were prone to do, you know, no, people no. that use that, that summering as a verb or, or summering in Cape Cod, whatever, uh, tend to go for those kinds of drinks. So he liked those when he was boating. But surprisingly, FDR, when he played poker, which he liked to do with his cronies, and he'd sometimes play past midnight, he would usually drink beer. He'd have four or five beers over the course of a poker game. <laughs> Uh, but he also loved his uh, his martinis, you know, his cocktails, and he would sometimes mix them himself for his guests. And apparently, he wasn't very good at, at a mix, no. as a mixologist. No. He would just dump this and dump that. And uh, I'm told that uh, there was people that suffered through uh, cocktails that weren't uh, of the first rate. Yeah, of all these of all these presidents from from Washington right through to to Obama, which president do you think you would like to party with the most? I'm thinking Bill Clinton for me, but maybe that's because he's fresh in my mind and he's latter day, and I, it looks like he never walked away from a good party. But of, of all of our presidents, who do you think was the best partier? Well, a guy that the guys that I think would be most interesting to sit down and have a drink with. If you if you were feeling very academic and philosophical, mm. it would be really hard to pass up uh, you know several glasses of wine with Jefferson at Monticello. Uh, you can imagine how, uh, at his, in his day and age, he was one of the most enlightened men, despite his various flaws that mm. have come to light in, in the modern times. So, if I if I was in that mood, I'd probably you know be uh, hobnobbing with uh, TJ. Yeah. But you know, Harry Truman would be interesting. You're talking about a guy now who got up in the morning, did a two mile walk, got a rub down, and then drank two or three ounces of bourbon in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> uh, as an eye opener, so that kind of fascinates me. Yeah. You know, I think Truman and Truman was a man who spoke his mind. He, yeah. he didn't. Uh, he didn't uh, hide behind uh, too much subtlety. So no. I think Truman would be interesting. Clinton, surprisingly, now as gregarious and outgoing as he is, is not a big drinker. He, he admits this in his own memoirs. He said. Well, you know, and I like the way he said it. He said, despite all my other flaws, <laughs> and you can read between the lines on that one, uh, alcohol has never been one for me. And uh, he says, thankfully, because he, he probably realizes it would have accelerated all the other flaws. You know, I, but, I, I was thinking, you know, uh, you know, Mark, with, uh, with the convention coming up, I, I think we could maybe have like a drinking game. You know, here's my thought. You know, every time Trump says big or huge or crooked, you take a shot. Every time Hillary wow. says do, do, that's her big, her big thing. I've researched is do is her big word. Do more. <laughs> what I will do to do more, to do everything I can. We do have to. Every time she says do and every time says that, 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 that uh, Trump says crooked, just take a shot. You'll probably be passed out like four or five minutes into the speech. Yes, you'd have to have Uber on, on constant call <laughs> if, if you try that. Uh, it, it, it is a time where alcohol may come in very handy with this election, and everybody's feeling so so much division. But, yeah. you know, to, to segue from that, remember there was a time when Reagan and Tip O'Neill could get together and have a, a drink or two and yeah. actually reach a compromise. Yeah, no and it more. wasn't that long ago, but it, it seems like it is at this point, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. I mean, with cell phones and cameras and Snapchats and everything else that's out there, if you get two people of any note sitting over a drink, it's up there instantaneously, which is unfortunate. Now, if anybody wants your book, where should they go, Mark? All the usual spots, Amazon, places like that? 
Amazon's probably the easiest and cheapest place to get it. Um, I would imagine since uh, Teddy eventually made his way into Barnes & Noble that these books will at some point be at Barnes & Noble. Mm-hmm. But uh, and my publisher, uh, Regnery in Washington, D.C., you can certainly get it off their website. Uh, I wish I could sign copies in a, over the Rhine out there in Cincy yeah. with you guys. Yeah, that's, I've, such a, that's such a great uh, historic place, and a number of the presidents drank in, uh, over the Rhine. You're kidding me, really? No, even your boy Taft had a beer or two down there in the old days. So we had presidents uh, down, down here on Vine Street and over the Rhine getting loaded? Uh, in, in their youth, uh, absolutely. Who else drank besides Taft down here? Do you know, offhand? Well, I'm I, I, offhand, I would say that either Hayes or Garfield, yeah. possibly. You know, see, Hayes has this reputation he didn't drink in the White House, but as a Civil War general, he drank quite a bit. Yeah. Have it, you know, he's writing home in his letters. He, he downplays it. He says, well, a lot of the officers had whiskey, and then he admits, he goes, I may have touched it lightly myself, <laughs> something like that. <laughs> now, a lot so, of these guys could have been closet drinkers, too, right? I mean, everybody goes home, they sit there, and they have a, they have a pop when nobody's watching. Well, true. You know, you can imagine the stress of it all. I, I think a number of the, the guys were, were fairly moderate, you know. I mean, Clinton, Reagan, and Obama are fairly moderate, believe mm. it or not, because they all had uh, fathers or stepfathers that had alcohol problems. Mm. So you can understand why they were a bit leery, sure. especially Reagan. Right. But Reagan, Reagan was a master of what I call the alcohol photo op, where he would, uh, for instance, on St. Patrick's Day, get himself photographed in an Irish pub lifting a mug of Guinness, but he'd have two or three sips of the mug. And, and, and then, then Nancy would step in. Yeah. Right, yeah, so he, yeah, he, didn't, he didn't really overindulge, but he understood the value of being photographed on St. Patrick's Day with a Guinness. You know, it was not only a nod to his Irish-American roots, but it was sort of a blue-collar, working-class yeah. thing yeah. to do. Drinking with Republicans and Drinking with Democrats, a good follow-up to Mint Juleps with Teddy Roosevelt. Mark Will Weber is the author. You can find it on Amazon and in bookstores all over the tri-state. Hey, Mark, thanks for your time. We appreciate it. Ken, thanks for having me. Okay. Yeah, I think every... start. What is the Republican convention start? It starts Monday, doesn't it? Every time on WKRC, very good. Every time Trump says big, huge, or crooked, take a shot. And then, when, and then when Hillary gets up there and she says, do, that's her big word, do, D-O, take a shot. I guarantee you, you'll be passed out in five minutes. You'll be gone. It'll be night-night time. Yes, it can happen. 749-7000, the big one. We'll continue next on 700 WLW. My baby does the hanky-panky. Why, I love her. 700 WLW. 50 years ago today, the number one song in the USA. Husband and wife songwriting team, Ellie Greenwich and Jeff Barry wrote this. Took them about a half an hour. They were writing for a group and they needed a B-side to the hit side of the 45 RPM record. Yeah, they wrote it. They didn't like it. They just shelved it. Now, somehow, some way, the Shondells grabbed it. Cut this record in Michigan. On the old, uh, what was the name of that? Uh, I think it was Snap Records. I've got a, yeah, it was the Snap label. I've got a copy of it at home, amazingly. This song was produced by a guy named Henry Glover, who was working for Roulette Records at the time. But Glover had cut his teeth right here in Cincinnati working for King Records. 
Back in the 50s and producing for, among other acts, Hank Ballard in the Midnighters. But anyway, um, James wrote a book, an autobiography. It was out maybe five, six years ago called Me, the Mob, and Music. It's centered around his time with Roulette Records and when this song came out. He claims the company and its president, a guy named Morris Levy, were mobbed up and that Jackson had to go undercover to avoid a hit by the mob. But uh, Tommy James grew up in Dayton, Ohio, by the name of Tommy Jackson. And uh, like I said, hit it up in Michigan, around the Niles, Michigan area. And when this song broke in Pittsburgh, his whole life changed. He's still alive. He didn't get hit by the mob. But this was number one 50 years ago today. Sunny, high near 83. Clear, low around 62 tonight. And then tomorrow, sunny and nice, high near 90. Monday doesn't look bad at all either. Maybe a thunderstorm. 78 right now at the Tri-State Severe Weather Station, 700 WLW. In a moment, why you of any skin shade should not go out in the sun unprotected. Coming up in just a second. 749-7000-1800, the big one. Here now is Mike in Burlington. Mike, how you how been? How you doing, Ken, bro? Now that I hear your voice again, Mike, I feel good. I really do. You know, I do. I, every time Hillary barks, I take a drink. I do that. That's not <laughs> nice, Mike. But it, there are all kinds of variations on the presidential <laughs> drinking game. That's for sure. Copy. I think the, the soccer is like kind of like the Pokemon Go of sports. I don't think it's going to be around too long. Once the novelty wears off. Well, I think they've got to think, I think they've got to think about what's our next step here. But right now, it's the shiny new thing to do in our town. And and they're riding that wave. The team is successful on the field. There is a, a significant number of soccer fans in our area. I wouldn't call it overwhelming. And it's a very communal thing to do. Go to the game, drink with your friends, talk to your friends. And it, it, but after a year or two, you and I both know that the luster wears off of anything in Cincinnati. Yeah, and I think the, like if the Reds were any good, I think that uh, a lot of those people would be going to Reds games, spend their money there. Well, I think they've hit the town at the right time. I don't think there's any question about it. Timing is everything. But you're right. I think if the Reds were at least competitive and, and not what they are this year, which is darn close to comatose, I think maybe – the fringe fan wouldn't go to soccer. He would continue. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Only 4% of universities in the U.S. are R1 research institutions, and Temple University is one of them. This means 100% of students have the opportunity to participate in hands-on learning and research with world-class faculty. With over 600 academic programs across 17 schools and colleges, Philadelphia's largest public university provides students with a rich variety of opportunities and propels graduates to succeed in their careers. Temple University. Schedule a campus tour today at admissions.temple.edu. visit To go to see the Reds, but I still think that if they play this thing the right way, that they're going to be a force in this town for a while, but they must play it 
the right way. They've got to be thinking about, okay, what are we doing past next season? Because what we have now, the shelf life will wear out. Have a good weekend, Ken. You too. There's Mike. That opens up a line for you. It's 749-7000. We'll continue next on the Home of the Reds, 700-WLW. Seven hundred WLW. Welcome back on this Saturday afternoon. So good to have you with us. We're counting down to uh, Reds baseball. That's later on tonight at six oh five. Is the uh, inside pitch? You know, it doesn't take much to figure out that if you're you're if you're fair complected, and I am, that you cannot walk outside and be in the sun for any length of time, or you're going to be in trouble. Unfortunately, when I was growing up, there were no such things as sunblock, and I'm paying the price for them right now. I've, I've had several major surgeries to, to carve out and reconstruct, in some cases, areas of my body that were just exposed to sun as a child, and now they have developed into either cancerous or precancerous uh, growths. But luckily now, in this, the 2000s, we can, we can put things on ourselves that can keep us protected from the sun and at the same time help us from aging too quickly. I mean, there's a cosmetic and there's an aesthetic side to this, and there's also a medical side to this. And uh, oftentimes I think we, we lather ourselves up with sunblock and we think, oh, okay, we're done, when in essence we're probably not putting on anything really that appreciably helps us. So as someone who has dropped a lot of money on dermatology, and I have a great dermatologist here in the greater Cincinnati area, Dr. Nash, uh, for a guy that spent a lot of money on reconstructive surgery, I think maybe it might, might be a good time here. Middle of July, it's going to be kind of hot, sunny, and humid here for the next four or five months to uh, get a little update on what we should be doing. And that's why we've asked Dr. Desmer DeStang to join us. Doctor specializes in skin health and anti-aging and uh, has uh, a great website and a great clinic uh, should you be interested in it, but some good tips, I'm sure, coming forward and what we should do for the skin in these uh, hot and humid times. Doctor, thank you for joining us here on 700 WLW. Hi, Ken. Good afternoon, and good afternoon to everybody listening out there. Now, is it fair to say that a lot of us don't understand what sunblock is and what we should do uh, when applying it? Um, definitely it is something that is very misunderstood, and there are a number of things that people do incorrectly when it comes to applying sunblocks and screens, and there are a number of tips that can be given to people so that are able to, you know, get the most and get the maximum benefits from sun protection. Well, let's start at the beginning. All sunblocks are not created equal, are they? All sunblocks are not created equal, and that is where the consumer needs to learn how to read the labels and understand exactly what is on the packaging for them to know what is going to be the best sunscreen for them to use. What many people are not quite aware of is that with sunscreens, people only look at the SPF. SPF only measures the ultraviolet B light, which is coming from the, the sun. What is even more important and even more damaging to the skin is the UVA radiation that is also, you know, being emitted from the sun. Therefore, if you are going to look for a good sunscreen, you do need to get one that is broad spectrum, that covers both the UVA and the UVB part of the, the sun spectrum. 
So if you just look at SBF, which is what a lot of people do, and the SBF says 30 or 45 or whatever, uh, it, it was widely believed that you, that if you put that on, that your coverage was 45 times greater than what it would be, for example, if it was SBF 45, 45 times greater than it would be without sunblock. Is that a misnomer? It is a little, well, it is very much a a misnomer and it is um, a misconception. Traditionally, when you look at SPF, SPF only measures the the ultraviolet B uh, radiation. So in essence, if you put on something that would have been an SPF of 15, that would mean that you could go for 150 minutes out into the sun before getting, you know, well and truly cooked and sunburned. Mm-hmm. But what they have found from studying the the SPF and the different formulations of sun protection, that relationship is not quite linear. So with the American Academy of Dermatology, the guideline, which I think is more helpful for people, think of something with an SPF 15 as blocking approximately 97% of the ultraviolet B light. Mm-hmm. And when you start going into the higher ones, like the 50, the 50 only blocks approximately 98% of the UVB radiation that's been, you know, emitted mm-hmm. from the sun. And once you start getting beyond that, the incremental benefit that you're going to get from, you know, the higher SPF, it is very, very minimal. Right. Right. At, that, at a certain point, they're diminishing returns. The key thing here is UVA, UVB, broad spectrum. You must look at that as well as the FBF protection. Um, and, 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 and reapplying. I, I, I would put it on maybe for two hours and then reapply. If it has the broad spectrum um, and, it would, and it has uh, a high FBS, no, I normally cut it off at about 45, which is, you say, over and above 50. It really is just a number. But how often should you reapply sunblock? Well, again, reading the labels, it is better to have a, a sunscreen that says waterproof or water-resistant on mm-hmm. it. And not all of them are formulated to be, you know, with, to have those benefits. And all of these are recommendations the American Academy of Dermatology. So if you have a very good one that has UVA and UVB broad-spectrum sunscreen, which is water-resistant, remember a lot of us are going to be out in the water, in swimming pools. So you do need something that is going to be water-resistant. And you may be out there running, exercising, you're sweating. So again, you need a sunscreen that is going to, you know, have some resistance to the, the moisture. When it comes to reapplying, the sunscreen should be reapplied approximately one to two hours. And you do have to gauge it and be sensible about it. It's going to depend on the length of time you're going to be in the water. It's going to depend on the amount of sweating that you're going to be doing. Mm-hmm. So a good gauge is going to be approximately every one to two hours for reapplication. We're talking with Dr. Desmar Destang. Uh, her website is dermologicclinic.com. She specializes in health, uh, skin health and anti-aging. You know, I have friends, doctor, you probably do too. They're deeper complected than I am. Perhaps they're a different race than I am. They're saying, you know, I don't, I don't really need to apply sunscreen. It, it really doesn't apply to me. I'm not like you. I'm not fair complected. I don't burn. All skin does all skin burn, or is the or if you are of a different or deeper complexion that you don't burn and you don't have to apply sunscreen. When it comes to the different 
skin colors. And please remember, uh, my clinic is actually located in the Caribbean, where for us, sun protection is 365 days a year. Wow, yeah, yeah, sure. So uh, we know a lot about sun protection, but for our population in the Caribbean, we are predominantly darker-skinned people. Mm -hmm. What a lot of darker-skinned people don't realize is that the color of your skin provides a maximum of an SPF 6 protection. Mm -hmm. In lighter skin and in Caucasian skin, that sun protection may, you know, be an SPF 3 that's been, you know, that that you're getting from the skin. Mm -hmm. But in a darker-skinned person who thinks that they don't really need sun protection because they are protected from the melanin, that only provides you with a sun protection factor of six. Mm -hmm. So anybody, regardless of your skin color, really should be having a broad-spectrum sunscreen in use at all times, and it should be in the range of SPF 30 to SPF 40, again, regardless of your skin color. Right, because as you mentioned earlier, it doesn't protect, there's no protection from the UVB rays. It just gives you an SPF number if you're if the number six or I'm I think I'm like minus thirty. But if you're if if you're if what regards the number, it's, you're not protecting yourselves from these UVB rays. Well, UVB. Once you have a, a pretty you know good sunscreen that is SPF thirty plus, you do have UVB protection. Mm-hmm. And a good way of remembering the difference is that B is for burning, which is what we get when we get a sunburn. Mm-hmm which the majority of us use a sun a sunblock for. Mm-hmm. UVA is for aging. Now, these are the longer, deeper penetrating rays right. that really get into the layers of the skin that damage the collagen, and that is responsible for the aging. That is responsible for causing, you know, premature aging and wrinkles. And a lot of the, the sun damage that we're seeing is caused by the UVA protection, the UVA radiation of the sun. Well, doctor, if someone wants to get a hold of you, is that the right website, dermalogicclinic.com? Is that, is that where they can find you? It is www.dermalogicclinic.com. But please remember, my clinic is based in the Caribbean. So if you do shoot us an email, the support that we would be able to provide to you is going to be, you know, more in the, the range of, um, you know, email communication. Mm-hmm rather than actually being able to come visit me, unless you want to come to the Caribbean. Well, who wouldn't? I'd love to come down there and visit <laughs> it you. It is beautiful. No, I know it's, it's, it, is, it is a gorgeous area of the world. But uh, it, it, again, I think the, the headline here is, is SPF is just one part of it, UVA, UVB, look for broad spectrum, and reapply regardless of skin shade or whatever, because the sun is a very unforgiving resource. Very unforgiving. And- May I just add one thing when it comes to application? Apply your sunscreen approximately 15 to 30 minutes before heading out into the sun because it takes that amount of time for the sun protection to actually bind to the skin for you to get the maximum benefits from your sunscreen. Doctor, thank you so much for your time. Dr. Desmer DeStang, check her out, dermologicclinic.com. Thank you so much, doctor. Thank you so much for having me, Ken. I... You know, it, it, it may sound silly, but the, the largest organ on the body is your skin. I'm telling you, when I was a kid, we go to the beach. There was no such thing as skin sunscreen. There was this is this is the bad. These are the bad old days back in the in the sixties.
And I would lay out, and for some reason, you know, you would put baby oil on because you thought that would be good for your skin. And I, not to get grotesque about it, but I went right from, like, white to skin poisoning. Just blisters and everything on the back of my legs. It was it was horrible. And then in the 70s, I think it was in, in the early to mid-70s, sunscreen came out. And you remember, if you remember this, you put it on it, and it almost formed like a um, saran wrap plastic on your, uh, I know it wasn't, but it felt that way. But now there are things out there right now that you can put on. It doesn't even feel like you have anything on. But the key here, and the reason why I wanted to bring it up is I had just gone to see my dermatologist this week, and and my wife, who has never been to see a dermatologist, I finally, uh, you know, convinced her she needs to go because this is stuff that'll kill you. It'll kill you in a, in a heartbeat if 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 uh, you got a melanoma and you don't have it checked out. It's serious stuff. Seven four nine seven thousand one eight hundred. The big one coming up after the news at the top of the hour. He's in concert tonight. Rock and Roll Hall of Famer, Joe Walsh, is going to check in, join me. I want to talk to him about a number of things. Where he's at right now with the passing of Glenn Fry, and, and also just uh, where it all began for him in the bars in and around Cleveland, Columbus, and Cincinnati. We'll get into that next. You're listening to Saturday Afternoons. I am Ken Brew. So proud to be with you on this 50,000-watt mother flamethrower, affectionately called the big one, But for FCC purposes, 700 WLW, Cincinnati. 700 WLW, welcome back to the show. Uh, As we both know, the the open, as they call it, is uh, is going down in uh, Royal Troon Golf Course in Scotland. Uh, and right now, uh, if I'm reading this correctly, if, if memory serves, no, if I'm reading this correctly, Phil Mickelson is hanging in there through 15, uh, might be longer than that. I have, uh, I have the ESPN, uh, uh, log up there right now, but through 15, Phil Mickelson is at 11 under par, which, uh, you know, when you think about it, what a great story that would be if Mickelson indeed winds up as the, uh, as the champion of the open. It's, um. Uh, you know, it's been a rocky road for him lately, but he is right now at 11 under par through 15. And Henrik Stenson, who is not going to the Olympics, by the way, Henrik Stenson is also at minus 11, both through 15. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm Jim Herman, who uh, obviously is from here in the greater Cincinnati area, went to uh, St. X, went to UC, is at one under. He's finished for the day. He was plus one today, so he's 10 off the lead. Doubt seriously if he's going to make up 10 strokes on the final day of the of the Open. But uh, has a very good shot, J- uh, Jim Herman does, of finishing among the top 10. He is uh, right now at minus one. But uh, Mickelson and Stenson eats at 11 under par. Through 15 are your leaders at the uh, British Open. All right, coming up next in town tonight, and then in I, tomorrow night also at the Rose Center in uh, in Huber Heights. This is going to be a trip. I have never in my life spoken to Joe Walsh. I have admired his music from his days with the James Gang, and uh, the rumors that abounded in the early seventies that Joe was uh, occasionally in Athens, Ohio, while I was there at the o- at Ohio University. And uh, if I'm not mistaken. 
I saw him at the Agora in Cleveland for the first time with the James Gang, and I want to say it was 71 is when I saw him. So I am tickled to death that he's going to take some time out today as he's getting ready for uh, his concert tonight at Riverbend to talk with us. The great Joe Walsh is next as we press on this Saturday afternoon on 700 WLW. Now, your host, Ken Brew, on News Radio 700 WLW. Hey, welcome back. It's 207 on this Saturday afternoon. So glad you're with us. Reds baseball later on tonight. See if the soccer club, FC Cincinnati, outdraws the Cincinnati Reds, which would appear to be the case. We'll find out when the attendance figures actually uh, come out. We'll know that probably along about uh, 10, 11 o'clock. Uh, tonight, so we'll look forward to that. Also tonight, at Riverbend. And then tomorrow, at the Rose Music Center in Huber Heights. Rock and Roll Hall of Famer. One of the greatest guitar players on the planet. Joe Walsh will be in concert. Joe joins us now. Joe. Ken. Joe. How are you? Well, I'm going to ask you, how are you? Uh, well, you got to say, how you doing? How you doing? I know. Cause... How you doing? How you... I'm doing okay, <laughs> yes. I... I am. How does it feel to be a legend? Because you are a legend, Joe. How do you how do you handle all of that? Well, <laughs> a lot of what you've heard is true. <laughs> Well, that's the whole thing. If we knew we were going to get this far, we would have taken better care of ourselves, right? Yeah. Well, I think the thing that amazes everybody the most is that I'm still alive. <laughs> and I'm amazed, too. So I guess the legend part of it comes along with the territory. Yeah, yeah. We're tickled to death. You get a twofer here in southwest Ohio with, with, with Joe. You get him at Riverbend and then Sunday at the Rose Center in Huber Heights. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I know you've come through here with a number of your groups and as an individual before, but have you ever spent any appreciable time in Cincinnati where you could just walk around and see what was going on? Yeah, but it was before you were born, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> the James Gang used to come down and play a place called the Black Dome. Oh, yeah. Which, which was near the college. Yes, yes. And uh, we course didn't have anywhere to stay so we'd stay with some of the local bands and yeah i ran around cincinnati a long long time ago yeah i'm not as i'm not as young as you think because i was just starting at ohio university when you were finishing up at kent state oh my god so i would see you uh i i think it was at the old it was at the agora up in cleveland i think is where i saw you guys absolutely yeah absolutely 
What I love, Joe, about the James Gang particularly, but all of your groups, is you would buy the CD, you would, or in that day is the vinyl, but the live act was, it wasn't like you were up there just lip syncing to the album. It was live music. And I think that's a, that's, that's something that's gone with the wind anymore, isn't it? Yeah. Except I'm, I'm still fighting for that, that train of thought. Uh, I have a, I have a great band and we do not play it like the record. Mm-hmm. We play it different every night. And there's a lot of, I wouldn't call it a jam band, but mm-hmm. there's a lot of improvisation. Yeah, yeah. And I think those are two different things. Making records is one thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but playing live is another thing, and they're both as important as the other one. Yeah, yeah. You got a nice. I, I mean, I, I I've seen just clips of what's going on with with your band. You got Joe Vital on drums, your old buddy from Kent and Barnstorm, right? Yeah. And 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 how did you? I mean, I guess you and and Waddy worked together on the Confessor album, right? Is that how you first met Waddy? Oh yeah, I've known Waddy forever, though. I mean, he's played with Linda Ronstadt, and he produced Warren Zevon, and of course he's in Keith Richards' solo band. And I've known Waddy forever, mm-hmm. and I wanted to get somebody not to stand there and try and stay out of my way, mm-hmm. but to get in my way. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, and Waddy does that really well. Yeah. I'm not going to go through your whole catalog. We'll be here until next Friday. But I, I, <laughs> Funk 49, when that came out, there was nothing like that before. And it's so easy, I think, for musicians to just stay there and stay in that one level. You took this 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 funk and this blues to the next level. How much of a risk were, was it for you then to not you know, get out of that comfort zone and just let it go? The harder it is to do something you haven't already done. Mm-hmm. And there's a bad habit when people are under a deadline and stuff to, to end up with a record that sounds like the one they did before the one they did. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Same stuff, different words. Mm-hmm. And I've always tried not to do that. Mm hmm. And I love taking risks. That's really the secret of playing live, is you, you got to go for it. Mm-hmm. You can't stand there and be safe, because the audience can feel that, and they'll sit there mm-hmm. and watch you. Right. That's okay, but I like when everybody's standing up and dancing yeah. and watching you. Yeah. And that's the difference.
do you have more leeway with that? I mean, you were in the super groups, the Eagles. You played with the best, which I think a lot of people don't. I, I would have loved to have seen more than that. And then what we got, yeah. but I understand it. And, and, you know, with the James gang. But when you, you're headlining now, and so it's a little bit of a, a different deal for you, right? I mean, more controlled and, and the ability to do more of that risk-taking, is it not? Yes, it is. Yes, it is. I have to... Uh... I have to really take care of myself at this point. I have to go to the gym and eat right and sleep. And uh, in the old days, you know, we used to just party all night and go to the next show. That's right. You used to drive but by the gym. I can't do that anymore <laughs> if I'm going to do, if I'm going to be good. And it's important that I'm good. So, you know, I have a big toolbox of knowledge. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders. From ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities, CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov slash careers. Uh, to use at this point, but more important that, than that, I know what doesn't work. Mm-hmm. And that's... That's the secret. Yeah. yeah. If you know what not to do, you're way ahead of somebody. What? <laughs> <laughs> you know who doesn't not know that? Uh, what? <laughs> What does a Joe Walsh workout look like at the gym? What do we do? We look cardio, weights. What do you do? Yeah, it's got to be cardio. Mm. I uh, stretching. Yeah, is really important. Yeah, you get an old man posture <laughs> from playing guitar because that's that's your default position: mm-hmm. leaning forward, standing on one foot, looking down, and. I get locked into that, so I'm doing that when I'm not on stage, and that that looks terrible. Yeah. So trying to get up into a marine attention point when I walk on stage, I can come I can come off stage as an old man as long as I'm standing <laughs> up straight when I go on. <laughs> uh, you know, you, you mentioned marine posture. We're waiting for the the movie no or the documentary No Man's Land to come out. You have a song. Uh, on that uh, uh, the Citizen Soldier song. How did that all come together 
where you got involved with that project, which, it, 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 correct me if I'm wrong, Joe, it's about a National Guard brigade sent from Oklahoma to Afghanistan, and, and, and how did you get all involved in that? Well, I, I have a friend who does documentaries, and yeah, the Oklahoma National Guard brigade, with no preparation, no warning, uh, was sent to Afghanistan and put behind enemy lines, and they all took GoPros. So my friend got a hold of their GoPros and compiled their journey through their eyes. This is not like a Hollywood movie. This is the real thing, and it's profound, and I saw it, and I decided to write music for it. The uh, point being, uh, we are still at war. We're too busy with Bernie and Donald and Hillary, but we are at war every day. Mm-hmm. And people are coming back absolutely shattered. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I wanted to be a part of an attempt to give a wake-up call to everybody. Because, I mean, it's just not okay with me. Homeless vets are not okay mm-hmm. with me. Mm-hmm. And so I jumped on board, and my song's called No Man's Land, because in watching it, what a god-awful place that is. Yeah, I know. I know. What are we doing there? I well, don't know. We've been there a long time. Been there a long the time. Don't know. Yeah, yeah. And when will we yeah. hear? We'll hear the song in August. Is that when it's? The... Yeah, it'll be out when the when the uh, documentary comes out, beginning of August. And I'm gonna put it on the internet for a free download. Yeah, yeah. But it was really fun. I didn't. I just wrote a piece of music based on the way the documentary met yeah. me, made me feel. Yeah. <laughs> I would be remiss if I didn't ask, uh, like a hundred million other people, we saw you on the Grammys this year with Don, Timothy, and uh, and you, and uh, you, you look like you had your hearts ripped out. I know that you were extremely close with Glenn. How are you? Ha- how are you handling all of that? Well, I'm doing the best I can. You know, yeah. it was a direct hit, and he was uh, he was a brother. I miss him every day. And I sat around at home for a couple months, missing him. That was a really uncomfortable place. And I thought, Joe, you better get off your get up off your butt yeah. and do what you do, which is go play music in front of people. We have a a, a song I dedicate to Glenn uh, during the set, mm-hmm. where me and the whole audience can be sad together, and that that helps a lot. Good, good. But yeah. Uh, uh, never met anybody like him, and I owe him the world. And he always had my back. And uh, and uh, life after Glenn, I haven't figured out yet. Yeah, yeah, I know it's it's one day at a time. Uh, it, well, we're, I yeah. can't tell you, Joe. We're tickled to death. We get to see Joe at the Riverbend Music Center tonight, and then the Rose Music Center in Huber Heights, Wayne, on Sunday night. I just got a new Stratocaster for my birthday, Joe. I can play the first ten chords of walk away it sounds like crawl away i don't really play it all as fast as that but i'm working on it i'm working on it big time joe so who knows maybe well, come to the show well, and bring your guitar that's it yeah because i'm sure in case anything happens you'd want me on stage with you but well, i'm we'll telling you you'll plug in and see how you do yeah yeah hey man it'll been... be like you can be on america's got talent we'll give the audience like judge cards and... yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, hey, man, it's a trip. Thank you so much for your time. We really appreciate it. All right. 
See you, Joe. Joe. You see you there. Yes, sir. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. <laughs> I'm going to bring my Stratocaster tonight. Yeah, I am. <laughs> Joe gets sick. Waddy walked. He'll get, you know, I'm there. What a trip. What a rush. What a great talent. Brought back a lot of memories. Tonight at Riverbend and then tomorrow night at the uh, Rose Center. Uh, terrific, terrific guitar player. 700 WLW will continue in just a moment as we press on till 3 o'clock. On the home of the Reds, 700 WLW. 700 WLW. 44 years ago today, this was the number one album in the USA. Hockey Chateau. The number one cut. I think Elton John had seven consecutive number one albums. Sir Elton's fifth studio album. First album with Nigel Oslet on drums. Had some sax players, had a couple of those. Trumpet player. Trombone player. By the way, didn't realize this until I. I I saw a documentary on this album six, seven years ago, but the trombone player they had, a guy named Jacques Bolognese, never played on a rock and roll song before in his life. He's a jazz trombone. They hauled him in the studio and said, just play these four or five notes every so often. You mean you're going to pay me for this? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Sir Elton was a significant investor. I think he was the sole owner at one time and chairman of a English premiership soccer team by the name of Watford. Still on their advisory board, if I'm not mistaken. 50 top 40 hits, 27 top 10 hits, seven of which went to number one. And the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, class of 1994. And 44 years ago today, he had the number one album in the USA. Nice today here on a 83, clear tonight, low around 62, and nice again tomorrow. We're getting up to 90. We're at 78 right now at the Tri-State Severe Weather Station. 700 WLW, 749-7000. Here is Doug in Monfort Heights. Hello, Doug. Hello, Ken. How are you today? All right, Doug. Hey, I just wanted to uh, make mention about your guest you just had on there, Joe Walsh. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was, uh, the first concert I had ever seen and, um, uh, his warm-up band was a band called Tiny Tim. The Tiny Tim? The Tiny Tim. Oh, Very my. unusual. What? What? <laughs> Never seen an act like that since. Yeah, you know? no one has. Uh, this must be what? Early seventies, I guess, huh? No, this was, um, let's see, 80. Two approximately. Where was this? Down the uh, Coliseum. Which is the U.S. Bank Arena now? And so, tiptoe through the tulips comes on and plays. Yeah, and then all of a sudden, back. and then and then Walsh comes out. Yes. Who put that together? I don't know. That I guess that was back in the era of when nobody was really thinking clearly. If you know, right? What I, mean. I am some seriously <laughs> mind-altering drugs on that one. We'll continue next on seven hundred WLW. Seven hundred WLW. 2.35 in a moment. Security at the Republican National Convention next week in light of what has uh, gone on in the world in the last two months. And how well prepared is Cleveland? We'll get into that in just a second. Uh, let's right now go to the phones. This is Jim and Marymont. Hello, Jim. 
Well, it's Tim, but that's okay, Ken. All right, Tim. <laughs> I really enjoy your show and look forward to whenever you're on. Just have to say that. Thank you. Um, really enjoyed the uh, piece you did with uh, Joe Walsh. And back in my uh, younger years when I was in college, one of the many jobs that I had was getting to work at some concerts at the Coliseum mm-hmm. and elsewhere. And uh, I have to tell you, whenever Joe Walsh came in, whether it was solo or with the Eagles or whatever, could not have been a nicer guy. You know, you think in that job you'd meet a lot of famous people when you do. Some are even maybe people that you liked. Mm-hmm. And after meeting a lot of them, you kind of wish you hadn't met them because right. it's, uh, I know. Not, every, not everybody is as nice as you had made them out to be. But Joe Walsh could not have been a nicer guy. He would sign everything. He'd stay around after everybody went back to the hotel. He'd stick around and talk to the roadies, talk to anybody. Yeah. And just could not be a nicer guy. I, I just have to say that in a world of celebrity is sometimes getting a bad rap. He was somebody that, and I'll remember that the day I die. You may hear a Joe Walsh song, I think. Yeah, he was a pretty cool guy. He was really nice in person. Yeah, really he's genuine. Yeah, thanks, Tim. It, 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 it's kind of like if you, you take your work seriously, but you don't take yourself seriously. And I think he's that way. And I think that's why he has the legion of followers he does. It's kind of like the uh, Rock's version of Willie Nelson. Just very approachable and can appeal to all strata of of uh, of people. Yeah, so if you're going tonight, have fun because it's a it, it it'll be a fun show. Of course, coming up later this week is the Republican National Convention. The Democrats will do so later on at uh, Philadelphia. And in light of what's happened in San Bernardino, Orlando, Nice, and Dallas, um, how prepared is Cleveland? And what should Cleveland had been have been doing really and truly since they were awarded the convention? Because security is going to be, I think, an issue up there. You'll have uh, protesters on both sides of the equation, and of course, you might even have a lone wolf. Dr. Alex Del Carmen is the executive director of the School of Criminology, Criminal Justice, and Strategic Studies at Tarleton State University. That's located in Fort Worth, Texas. And on this Saturday afternoon, he is kind enough to join us here on 700 WLW. Uh, Doctor, thank you so much for joining us again. Thank you for having me. All right, so we have soft targets and hard targets. We're learning these terminologies, unfortunately, and understanding them a lot lately. Would you view the RNC this week as a hard target or a soft target? I think it's probably going to be a combination of both. Uh, From the hard target perspective, it will probably be the infrastructure the soft target would probably relate to the uh, people that are going to be protesting outside of the of the uh, convention. And if you were the city of Cleveland, uh, the county of Cuyahoga, the state of Ohio, what you what should you have been doing ever since this convention was awarded to you to make sure it is safe for all involved? What 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 would have been the first thing you would have done from a security standpoint after the convention was awarded? Well, you know, the coordination with the federal, state, and local law enforcement is probably your primary objective to try to make sure that people don't replicate uh, the security approach and that people are working together. Uh, Radio frequency, backup plans, uh, being able to isolate uh, what threats, gather intelligence as to where it's coming from and whether or not it's credible, uh, being able to limit access to, to people to the event. So the local authorities, but too, I would think you were probably working with the FBI as well, right? Right. That's why I said federal, state, and mm. local. You would definitely right. include the FBI, Secret Service, and various other entities. Are, are cities by nature, by, 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 by inherent nature, are they prepared for conventions like this? Or, or, and again, when I, when I mentioned that, I, I, we touched on the FBI now twice. 
are they just inherently when they have large gatherings of people in an area are are they prepared for that be it a convention or a game or a concert or anything of the like you know there's probably not a better entity in the world to prepare for these events than the FBI and Secret Service working together so i think at the end of the day when you look at the at the experience that they've had over the years and the way i mean we send our FBI agents overseas to help other governments which is significant as far as what what these agents do and their capability nothing is ever perfect and no conference and no convention could ever be 100% uh, foolproof but i like to think that one of the most secure places in the world next week is going to be the convention but yet as we've come to find out and we just saw it again in nice the other night uh lone wolves are out there and who knows how they've been infiltrated infiltrated i'm sorry with with dogma and with with philosophy and things like that they have to be right only once security has to be right 100 percent of the time you 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 can't plan for a lone wolf can you Right, and so so you cannot. And then the other part of that is that even though you may have a very safe convention and you may have a controlled a controlled environment in the perimeter, that's not to say that an attack will not take place close by or perhaps in other cities across the U.S. to try to distract the bad the uh, the good guys from paying attention to the uh, democratic process and focusing more on a on a on a criminal uh, component. So yeah, it's very hard to do that. Yeah, you know, there's just so much of it lately. Uh, we're chatting with Dr. Alex Del Carmen from uh, Tarleton State University in Fort Worth, Texas, where he heads up the School of Criminology. I, I mean, I, I look at at what happened in Dallas uh, a week ago. I look what happened in Nice a couple of days ago. In your opinion, why are these things happening? Why, why, why so much of it now? And 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 as an American citizen, people that live here and work here, what are we supposed to do? So I think that the, I mean, you've asked a couple of questions. The first one is, why is it happening now? I think it's always happened. And I think what we are able to see now is because of social media, because of the uh, usage of telephones, being able to record these incidents live, you know, we, it, it seems like they're happening more often and they seem live. And so as a result of that, we feel more attached and perhaps affected by them. On the second part of your question, which is what do we do, I think situational awareness is crucial being able to be aware of your surroundings. If something looks weird, you need to report it immediately. Uh, if you look back at most of these terrorist attacks, most people knew the bad guys. They were depicted as being weird, as being extraordinary, but no one ever said anything to authorities. Well, yeah, I mean, it was planes on 9-11 and then bombs and guns, and now it was trucks the other night. Uh, and I, I guess there was something odd about that semi trying to ram through the crowd at, at Bastille Day, but... It almost seems like you have to have your antenna up for everything. Now we're now we're looking looking for trucks. What's next? Exactly, and as we've said in the past few months, you know, when you look at, you know, everyone seems to be obsessed with airport security. People are concerned about whether or not our airports are, you know, fortifiable or not. At the end of the day, terrorists have a wild imagination, and they have access to the basic things that we have access to in our democracy, and therefore they can hurt us in just about every way every form and every every shape of our daily days. Do you expect anything to happen, doctor, in Cleveland next week? Not particularly. I think you're probably going to have some incidents where people get in each other's nerves when they're protesting against one another. I personally don't feel that uh, something's going to happen next week in Cleveland. I, however, am suspicious of what may happen around the United States and other parts of the world because we can't keep everyone safe all the time, unfortunately. So you think an attack at some place 
like, I don't mean to put words in your mouth, but could there be an attack like Nice uh, happen in the United States? Are you, are, is that something you're saying here, that it's inevitable it's going to happen on our home turf? Well, more so than my credibility, we look at the FBI director and the CIA director, and they're both telling us that they, that they both feel that these attacks are likely to happen in the U.S., and these folks have access to intelligence that neither you or, or I have. And so by virtue of that, I have to believe them, taken by their word, that, that in fact uh, these are likely to happen in the U.S. So the reason why we talked about keeping your antenna up, look for something that's not right, something that's suspicious. And even though we live in a litigious society that might put us in legal jeopardy for pointing the finger at somebody and it might turn out to be erroneous, better to be on the right side of that than the wrong side, correct? There is no question. Yeah. Uh, doctor, uh, we appreciate your time. Again, uh, Dr. Alex Del Carmen, if somebody wants to find you, send you an email, talk to you, how do they, how do they get a hold of you, if any, if any way? So they, they can access our website, which is www.tarleton.edu, and look for criminology, and they'll be able to email me then. And that's in Fort Worth, Texas. Uh, doctor, thanks so much for your time today here on 700 WLW. Thank you for having me. Invariably. That's scary, isn't it? Invariably, it will happen here. Somehow, some way. I think people are afraid to speak up. I really do. I think it hasn't been the way we've behaved as a society in the past, and I think it's something that we have to learn. I think we're just afraid to do it. Don't want to be the guy. Don't want to be that guy. Don't want to be the guy to you know elbow the cop and say, hey, over there, look at that. What's that? But I'm unfortunately, that's, that's, that's the world we live in. Dr. Alex Del Carmen, again at Tarleton State University in Fort Worth, Texas. We'll continue next on 700 WLW. 700 WLW 249 on this Saturday afternoon. Henry, proud to be with you. Going over Sunday morning sports talk tomorrow. Bill Bender, my buddy from Sporting News. Uh, the best backup quarterbacks, 1 through 32 in the National Football League. We'll also get into some baseball trade talk and uh, do a follow-up with, uh, yeah, do a follow-up on tonight's uh, FC Cincinnati game. 7497, it's tomorrow at 9 a.m., by the way. 7497000 is uh, the phone number. Let's go to the phones. Daniel is in Bridgetown. Yes, Daniel. Hey, Ken. Hello, Daniel. Good. Hey, you know, this, uh, Stuff going on, you know. I've been uh, I I've been Iraq twice. I, I deployed twice. You know, with the uh, United States Army. Well, thank you for and, your uh, service. Thank you for your service to the country, Daniel. Oh, you're welcome. You know, and these guys that we're going against, you know, I don't even call it that because I mean, it, it's not your conventional warfare. You know, these these men are savages. You know, I'm talking about like groups like ISIS mm-hmm. and uh. You know, and I, you said it right before you, you went off to the break, is people are, I think, afraid to speak up. and You can't do that anymore, Daniel. You just can't. you got to speak up. You, you, you have to, and I think that's why people are kind of attracted to Trump, because he, he's saying stuff that, you know, is, isn't always politically correct. And when we're fighting an enemy like this, there is... Nothing politically correct on what we do. Yeah, I think it, I think it transcends politics. I, I think it, it's all about survival. And I, you know, it's it's a different mindset than when you were a kid and when I was a kid. 
a completely yeah, different mindset because it's it's not an enemy; it's an ideolo- ideology that, that that's out there. So I I don't think you can uh, you can afford to be silent and say, "Oh, I don't think that's anything," or "I don't want to say anything," because unfortunately, if your instincts are correct, and ninety nine percent of the time most people's instincts are correct, I you got to say something. Yeah, exactly, and you know. I'm a firm believer on, you know, uh, we can sit back and let these guys come to us, or we can do the attacking and yeah. and, and kind of suppress them. And it's in our arsenal, and I know it won't ever be done, but look at what happened after Port, uh, Pearl Harbor, Yeah, what we did to Japan. Yeah, I know. And it, now, go ahead. And, you know, if you do that to a few countries in the Middle East, I think it may send a message. Look, we're not we're not playing around. Yeah. And, yeah. You know, you just hope and pray. That, you just hope and pray that the security in in Cleveland is as tight as what my last guest says it is. I hope it is, and in Philadelphia for that matter too. In a couple of weeks, here is Larry. I'm sorry, Harry on a cell. Yes, Harry. Hello. Yes, Harry. Go right ahead. Yeah, it's it's actually Terry. Terry, I'm sorry, Terry. I'm, That's okay. Uh, it says uh, Harry up here, but listen, I've been called worse, and I'm sure you have too. Absolutely. Hey, I just wanted to thank you for the Joe Walsh segment. Sure. Uh, back in the early 80s, I think it was 83, I saw him and Stevie Nicks down at the Coliseum. Oh, I think he, they were he, an item at one point. I think he dated Stevie Nicks at one point. Oh, uh, that's possible. Yeah. Uh, he he opened up, and, and he did his James Gang stuff, and then he did uh, his solo stuff. Yeah. And I thought, you know, well, that's the best concert we're going to see. And then Stevie Nicks came out, and they started playing Stand Back, and it just blew us away. <laughs> yeah. You know, it, it's, it's, so. it's amazing. There's so much of the music today, and I know this is going to open up a real Pandora's box, but you know what? So much of the music today is computer-generated. You don't need a drummer. Yeah. You just go to a computer and you get a drum loop. And a lot of the music right. that's out there today, and I'm not going to, I know I'm sounding like a grumpy old man here, but a lot of the music that's out there today I don't think is going to have the shelf life that the music we had back in the 60s and 70s and 80s I think 30, 40 years from now, the music that's out, that's coming out today, I, I just don't think it's going to have the shelf life of the music that we've been talking about. Well, I'm with you. Uh, you know, I grew up in, in the uh, late 60s and through the 70s, and uh, uh, the music can't be touched. Yeah. Yeah, I appreciate the phone call. That's uh, Terry. Sorry about that. Uh, coming up tomorrow, as we said, 9 a.m., we'll be in here with Sunday morning sports talk and uh, get into the Reds, little Bengals talk. And recap what ought to be an unbelievable night tonight at Nippert Stadium. Headed downtown right now for the latest in sports at 6 and 11 on Cincinnati's 9 on your side. Stand by. Sterling is next on the home of your Cincinnati Reds, 700 WLW. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.